in a new series, uh, a new book, and it is one of the key books of the New Testament for understanding basic theology. And one of the key doctrines of the book of Romans is justification by faith. That's the gospel, that we are justified. We have righteousness imputed to us based on faith alone. And the Apostle Paul, in this passage that we're going to look at today, verses 8 through 15, and as we stand and read it together, you're going to see how the gospel simply consumed all of Paul's thoughts. So let's stand together in reverence for God's word, and let's read these verses from the book of Romans. Paul writing to the Romans, he's given them the introduction, and now he's expressing his desire to get to Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I might find my way in the will of God to come to you, or that I might have a prosperous journey to you, or a successful trip to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. For I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm going to go ahead and include the next two verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it... The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You may be seated. So you can see how Paul's consuming desire was his passion for the gospel. And that the gospel was going forth. And the gospel was being spread. And he wasn't content just to stay in Palestine, Paul had a burning desire to get to the center of the empire. 
Because Paul knew that if he got to Rome, he could have a greater impact for the entire known world. At this time, 90% of the world's population lived within the Roman Empire. They were all of Greek language speaking. There was Roman roads that connected the empire. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, had access to go wherever he needed to go. And as a Pharisee, he had access to every synagogue in the empire. And because of the dispersion of Jews, there was a large Jewish population in the city of Rome, and it was an active Christian group. These were house churches, and these simple house churches were having a profound impact all over the world. And Paul was excited about what was going on there, and he had a desire to get to Rome, and not just to get to Rome. Paul was going to use Rome as a stepping stone to go further west and hopefully go into Spain and take the gospel to the barbarians, those who were non-Greek speaking. What is it that makes life something worth living for? Well, the world has got all kinds of answers for that. What is the all-consuming desire that we as believers should have? What is it that would motivate us? What would drive us? Another way to put it is, what is your passion? What are you consumed with? The world has got some good answers, but they all fall short. One might be a desire to see results in your life. That's a fair answer. But it can't be an ultimate reason for life. It can't be an ultimate reason that motivates you, that drives you. Paul desired to get to Rome, and he says why in this paragraph that we read. And it was so that he might have fruit among the Roman Christians. Fruit is obviously talking about souls to be saved for the kingdom. But there are many ministries that, always, that don't always bring forth fruit in that sense. We hope for results, but Paul's desire was just to preach the gospel where he had not yet been named. And we'll be looking at that in Romans chapter 15 in connection to this passage later on. Some feel that the purpose or the driving force is pragmatism. What's going to work? What's going to make my life better? What's going to be enjoyable, what makes me happy, but all of these things fall so short of an eternal perspective on life. When people receive the good news and they embrace Christ, we rejoice because someone has been taken out of darkness and they've been translated into light. They've been taken out of the kingdom of Satan and brought into the kingdom of his dear son. So when you and I share the gospel, we are sharing the power of God to deliver people from the penalty of sin. And we're giving a message that delivers people from the power of sin in their life. And one day when we see Jesus, we will be delivered from the very presence of sin 
and we will be in the presence of God. And that's what Paul said, I am not ashamed of this because it is the power of God for deliverance, for salvation. Being driven by the good news doesn't necessarily mean that I'm witnessing 24 hours a day to everybody I meet, but there are ways for you and I to let the gospel drive and focus our lives. Paul tells a servant in the book of Titus that he was to do all things without complaining. He was to do it well-pleasing to his master, not answering back, not cheating, but working with integrity. And this is why, so that he might adorn the doctrine of God in all things. So you might not have an opportunity to speak the gospel at work, but you have an opportunity every day to live the gospel. A wife is told that she can influence her husband by the way that she lives for the gospel's sake, by adorning herself with a meek and gentle spirit. For this is very precious in the sight of God, 1 Peter 3.1. And all of us are to do everything without complaining and grumbling and murmuring so that we might be harmless, undefiled, spotless children of God, among whom we shine as lights in the world. So our passion has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what motivates us to be different. That's what motivates us to take the extra mile, to smile when we don't feel like smiling, and to not complain when we feel like complaining. Paul's proof of his concern is found in verses 8 and 9. So let's just kind of look at these verses together, and then we'll go back and make some application. But Paul starts out by saying, first of all. Now, it's not a first in order of time, but it's first in priority. He says, the first thing that I do, the priority of my life is I'm thanking God. And it's the present tense. He was always thanking God. And this is the proof that this was the passion that drove him. That he was always so thankful. And what was he thankful for? He was thankful to God and he was thankful through Jesus Christ. That's the means that he entered into the presence of God was through the person of Jesus Christ. But it was concerning all of you. And then he says it's because the faith of you is being promulgated everywhere in the empire. Everywhere in the known populated world it's going forth and this is what excited Paul this is what gave him reason to give thanks I hope this morning when you are watching that video and you hear of children in orphanages children in South America children in Africa opening up a shoebox and finding out that there is a Savior that loves them, that this is something that you give thanks for. Paul was driven by that. He said, your faith, it's the faith in the original language, is so it's the Christian doctrine that they had accepted. And it was going all over the Roman world. Now, how was that happening? I think partially it was because their testimony was so vibrant And they were refusing to worship Caesar as their king and as their God. That Claudius Caesar, 
in A.D. 49, expelled all the Jewish Christians from the city of Rome. Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Corinth in A.D. 51, and we know it was A.D. 51 because he spent 18 months in the city of Corinth, and we know that Gallio was the governor of Achaia when Paul was there in Corinth, and there was a archaeological find, the Gallio stone, that puts that date to 52 A.D. when Gallio was the governor of Achaia. And so we can pinpoint exactly when Claudius Caesar gave that decree. And he gave that decree because they were having such an impact on the Roman Empire. In fact, we can read Claudius Caesar's document that expelled them from the city of Rome and it's because of this debate over a one called Christus whom the Jews claim was dead and is now alive so Paul is thanking God continuing this is his proof that he loves these people it's being published everywhere that was Paul's heart no matter what circumstance he was in when he was in imprisoned in Rome Some people were preaching Christ out of insincere motives, supposing to add afflictions to Paul's imprisonment. And some people were preaching Christ sincerely. And this is what Paul says. He says, I don't care whether it's in pretense or if it's a genuine motive. All I care is that Jesus Christ is being preached, and in this I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Philippians 1.18. His desire was for mutual strengthening of this church. He wanted to get there, but he also knew that he needed their fellowship. So let's continue to read on. So here's his proof of his prayer for these people, giving thanks. He says, for God is my witness. Now, what better evidence could you lay forth? God is my witness And then he elaborates on who God is. God is the one whom I serve. And it's not just the word deaconos, to serve in that sense, but it's the word liturgy. And it was used in the ancients for someone who ministered as a priest and who brought forth worship. And he says, this is the guy that I... God is the one that I minister to in the sense that I worship him and I serve him in my spirit, but it's in the spirit of the gospel about his son. So God is my witness that I am serving him in the gospel. I am worshiping him. I'm a priest taking this message to everyone. How I without ceasing make mention of you in my prayers praying always at all times. And I listen to his request. And I want you to notice there's four little particles that he gives us just piling up the emphasis. So if you'll look at me, look with me at, at, um, in the English, and you, we can see them in the English text just as well. So in the, the New King James, in verse 10, He says, I am making request, and the first particle is the word if. The next one is simply one word in the original language, but it's translated by some means. 
if just somehow I'm making mention of you in my prayers. I'm praying all the time. I'm giving thanks. God is my witness. I'm serving him and worshiping him in my spirit, in the gospel about his son. And I am making mention all the time in my prayers if somehow, now, at last... He is emphasizing this, his overwhelming desire to get there. Now, we're going to look at some passages that explain why he was having trouble to get to this city. So just pause for a second. And I want us to go back into the historical book of Acts because it's going to place all of this in a timeline for us. So about AD 56, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's on his way with an offering from the churches of Macedonia, primarily Berea, Philippi, and Thessalonica, and the churches from Achaia, which would probably be the church of Corinth. But if you go over to Acts chapter 19, this is his first mention of wanting to go to Rome. Acts chapter 19, verse 21. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he'd passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. So he's going to go through these areas. He's going to take up this offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But notice what he says here. And after that, I must, and it's a powerful word, I must also see Rome. Paul knew the importance of getting to the capital city and making this influence. He's hearing about the Roman Christians everywhere. He met Priscilla and Aquila, how they were impacting the world through their gospel. And he says, I must get to the city of Rome. I'm on my way in my heart. I've already purposed this in my spirit. So let's take another uh, view at, in Acts chapter 20. He knew that he was going to be hindered on this journey Because the Holy Spirit, everywhere he went with this offering, people were giving him a warning that when you get to Jerusalem, things are not going to go well for you. So he says, I'm I'm desiring to get there. So let's go over to Acts chapter 20. And let's look at a passage there that will show us how Paul knew what was going to happen when he got to the city of Jerusalem. So Acts chapter 20 Verses 22 and 23. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. Not knowing the things that will happen, except this thing I do know, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, chains and tribulations await me. But Paul still was so passionate with the gospel He says, I have got to get to the city of Rome. I don't care what happens to me. Let's go over to another passage in the book of Acts. So he goes to the city of Tyre in Acts chapter 21 and verse 4. And finding disciples, he stayed there seven days. This is at Tyre. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So they're they're, they're warning him. Let's go down to verse 11 in the same passage, or verse 14, I believe. Verse 14, no, it is 11. 
Um, so now he's, he, he leaves Tyre and he goes down to Caesarea. And in 2111, we find reading there that a man named Agabus, who's a prophet who came from Judea, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, Show, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when they heard this, they started to plead with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go up there. And Paul says, why do you mean to break my heart? I'm ready to die for the sake of the gospel. And so then they ceased saying and said, the will of the Lord be done. So let's go over now to the end of the letter to the Romans, chapter 15. And this is all going to tie together because this is one letter and it's one thought. And now he's picking up what he said in chapter 1 here, chapter 15, about his desire to get to Rome. So let's go over to chapter 15 and verse 20. This was Paul's aim because he was driven by the gospel. In verse 20, he says, I also have made it my aim to preach the gospel. This is what consumed him. This is what drove him. And it's not where Christ has already been named. And here's the negative reason. Lest I should build on another's foundation. And then he quotes from Isaiah. But just as it is written, To whom he has not been announced, they shall see. And to those who have not heard, they shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Paul says in that letter, that we, the introduction that we read this morning, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware that many, many, many times I have purposed to come to you so that I can have fruit. And now he's telling us at the end of this book, the same letter, and he says, I have been hindered. There's a great opposition. I'm gone to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested. They're going to throw me in jail. And I'm going to have to appeal to Caesar. And all these things are going to happen to me. But in verse 23, he says, But now no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey, and be helped on my way there by you. But first, I want to enjoy your company for a while. Now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. So we've talked about that. He's going through Macedonia. He's going through Achaia. He's taking up this offering. He's got his mind set on going to Jerusalem to take him this, this blessing. But he knows that chains await him and imprisonment await him. But he says, I, I'm, I'm going with this gift from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So that's what was driving Paul. So... Let's go back over to the book of Acts and we'll see that God answers this prayer, that God gives him exactly what he's praying for. Well, let's, let's look at first, let's look at the petition in, in, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. So Paul knows what's awaiting him. He knows that he's going to get arrested. So at the end of this letter, 
He's got a prayer request. Romans 15 and verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. So the means of this petition is through Christ and through the love of the Spirit. And here's his petition that you may strive together with me in prayers to God, that I may be delivered from those in Judea. So he knows that chains await him. He knows that imprisonment awaits him. He's bound in his spirit to go to Jerusalem and then go on to Rome, but he says, please pray for me that I'm going to be delivered. Now, how does God answer that prayer? We'll have to go back again to the book of Acts. And the first installment of that answer to prayer came through a vision of the night. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him. This is Luke writing it. And said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Here was the answer to prayer. This is what Paul was begging the Romans to do. Now, how did God work all of this out? Well, we don't have time to read the whole story this morning, but I'm just going to give you sort of a snapshot. He gets to Jerusalem. They arrest him. He gives a speech to the Jewish people, and then he says one wrong word. He says the word Gentile, and they go berserk. They start throwing dirt and dust everywhere, and they come, and they start to to beat the poor guy to death. The Romans intervene, throw him in, in, in prison, and then the Jews come into a conspiracy. They say, we won't even eat or drink until this guy is dead. But his nephew overhears the story, comes and tells Paul. Paul says, come and tell this Roman guard. So the Roman guard hears about it, and then they give the Apostle Paul a 470-man escort. That's how our God is able to deliver us from unreasonable and wicked people. When your desire is to live for the gospel, God will make a way. And so this 470-man escort takes him down to Caesarea for his trial. They start the trial... And then the Jews are not going to let up. They said, go back to Jerusalem. That's where you need to be tried. And Paul says, I ain't had nothing to do with that. So he appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen. And he says, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. And so Paul has an all-expensed, beautiful voyage on the Mediterranean. Actually, it wasn't too beautiful. He gets caught in a horrible storm. But God gets him there. And then when he gets to Rome... Now, what was Paul praying for? He's saying, I am praying if somehow, by any means, I may get to Rome and that God will give me a prosperous journey. The word prosperous means that God will open the doors and expedite me and get me where I need to be. And so Paul gets exactly where he needs to be. And when he gets to the city of Rome, Paul has a rented house given to him for two years where he gets to preach the gospel to Rome. So Paul took great delight. Now, what was his motive? Let's, let's look at this prayer request in, in Romans, chapter 5, Romans chapter 1. He's, he's, he gives the, the details 
of this, this prayer request in verse 10, making mention, if by some means, somehow, when, where, another, now, at this time, at last, I might find my way. Now, that's not a very accurate translation. Actually, the King James translates it better, or the ESV, or the New American Standard. The idea is, I want God to prosper me. I want God to open up every door. I want God to make it expedient, and God did exactly that. Now, let's see the reason why God and why Paul is praying this, that I might have a prosperous journey in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you. Now, this isn't just some kind of fellowship that he wants to go and hang out with these guys. I long to see you, and here it is, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, we have to look at the context. What does the spiritual gift mean in this context? Is it one of the charismatic gifts of the Spirit that Paul is talking about? Well, the context eliminates that. The spiritual gift that he's talking about is the communion and fellowship that strengthens, that undergirds us, that binds us together as believers. That is the spiritual gift that he wants to impart to them. And the context limits that because as we read this, it goes on to say, so that you may be fixed, so that you may be established, so that you're not wishy-washy. I want to get there. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to share spiritual things with you, and you share spiritual things with me to the end that your faith is strengthened. I know when I come to church and when I spend time with my brothers in our men's Bible study and when I get on the phone and I talk to another Christian, we are giving each other spiritual gifts, not worldly gifts, not earthly gifts, gifts that endure through the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul is praying for. And those things strengthen us. Those things establish us. And then he gives a summary statement in verse 12, when he says that is, the word that is in the neuter in the original language. And so what he's doing, he's summing up what it means for him to get there, to impart a spiritual gift so that they are strengthened and established. He says, now this is what I'm all talking about. It's not some kind of flashy gift that you can boast about. No, it's that is this, that I may be encouraged Sum parakaleo, that we are going to do this together. We're going to encourage each other in our mutual faith, both you and me. So this is what drove the Apostle Paul. Now, he's going to give us some more reasons why he wants to get there and why he's concerned. So we'll pick it up in verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now. So Paul had often made attempts to come. He had been hindered. There were many adversaries to God's work. But persistence is needed in our lives, isn't it? Paul did not let the imprisonment discourage him. He didn't let change discourage him. He did not, did not let a plot against his life, a coup that, or, or a conspiracy 
to, to, to murder him. None of those things. He was so persistent because this is what drove him. Opposition, in fact, sometimes that this is the true measure of God's will. The enemy was resisting it so hard. And his motive was pure. His motive was for fruit. So let's look at uh, verse 13. And we see the word that. And the word that tells why he often planned to come. And I think it even helps us understand why he was being hindered. The enemy does not want to see us prosper in the things of God. He doesn't want us to see, doesn't want the gospel to go forth to the lost. And this is what Paul's saying, this is why I was hindered, and this is why I wanted to often come, because my motive is so that I might have some fruit among you. Now, there's a lot of different ways to look at fruit, isn't there, in the New Testament? But again, context tells us what this fruit is. I believe it's the same way that Jesus used it in John chapter 15 and verse 18. Jesus looked at the 12 apostles. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That's a selection. That's a choosing to ministry. Paul had been chosen, a chosen vessel for ministry. God had set him apart from his mother's womb, we read last Sunday, for this gospel ministry. And then Jesus goes on to say, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you so that you might have fruit and that your fruit might remain. That was the reason God chose the apostles so that they would go out and win the world for Christ. And Paul is saying none other than what Jesus said to them, I want to come to you because I want to see people born again into the kingdom of heaven. This is what drove him. This is what gave him a, a, the greatest joy of all. So it was for the fruit that he wanted to see. Now, we see another concern, reason for the concern that Paul had. And this concern is very, very powerful. It's verses 14 and 15. Now, I'm going to give you the word order in the original language because it's un, almost untranslatable. But in the original language, it's the scope that was driving Paul. So, in verse 14, the first word is Greeks both to the Greeks and both to the barbarians and both to the wise and both to the unwise, a debtor I am. Now you can put the word order anyway in the original language because every noun has a case ending and you can tell what the subject is and you can tell what the direct objects are and what the indirect objects are. The indirect objects are to the Greeks and to the barbarians and the main verb that's found here is I am. And then he uses a, a nominative to describe who he is, and he uses a powerful word. He says, I am a debtor. Now you think about what that word means, a debtor. I looked it up this week just to make sure I was correct, but it means someone who has a moral obligation. Someone who is bound to a duty that he feels indebted to. You think about the Apostle Paul's life and why he said, I am so indebted. Why I have this moral obligation to take Christ to everyone. 
Because Paul was doing everything in his power to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you think about this today with me. You think about what Jesus has done for you. Where he has taken you from and who you are right now. I'm not a great guy. My wife will testify to that. But I will also testify to this. I'm not what I used to be, praise God. And I'm not what I could have been without Jesus. I am a debtor to Christ. I owe him everything. And that's what Paul is saying. This is why I'm so driven. I'm a debtor to the whole human race because Christ died for everyone. So what was Paul passionate about? He was passionate about the gospel. Salvation is God's greatest gift. When Paul was saved, he didn't have a whole lot of theology. But the moment he was saved in the city of Damascus, he went immediately into the synagogue and began to preach. My son was reading through the book of Acts. And he's been a Christian since he's about seven years old, six years old. I can't remember when my oldest son got saved. I remember when he got saved. I remember it was at the breakfast table. And uh, he's got quite a testimony. And he's had some ups and downs. But he's been reading through the book of Acts. And when he read that Paul began to witness immediately, my son was saying, I've been a Christian for 30 years. And how few times I witness. And Paul started immediately. And so he's been out sharing his faith now, every opportunity he has. The gospel is universal. Every spectrum of society. You couldn't get more diametrically opposed groups of people than the refined Greeks who knew philosophy than the barbarians who couldn't even speak, speak the Greek language. I have trouble with English. The wise and the unwise. He says, whatever spectrum, whatever nationality, whatever socioeconomic background. And this is the good news this morning, that Jesus Christ didn't exclude anybody when he died on the cross. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Why was he made a little lower than the angels? For suffering of death, so that he might be crowned with glory and honor, so that he would taste death for every individual. That's the way the Amplified Bible translates that last phrase. For every individual. Because the word everyone is in the plural, without the direct article, and you can look that up in a grammar, and it means every single person. And Paul knew that everybody that he witnessed to, Jesus Christ died for them, and Christ had died for him, and he felt this immense obligation to get the gospel to them. Verse 15, so here's the result. Here's the result of knowing that Christ died for everyone, knowing that you have a moral obligation to share with people. Can you imagine the moral obligation a doctor has who knows that he has a cure for a disease and doesn't share it? Or think about this. You went into the doctor and you had this incurable disease and he says, wait a minute, I've got a cure for you. 
and you've got scads of friends who've got the same problem, and you go home and you keep it to yourself? You would never do that. And yet we have got the answer. I, know, I mean, not, not just for a disease. we got a disease called death, right? It's a point in a man wants to die, and we have got the remedy. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall, what? Shall never die. And we keep our mouths shut. Oh, shame on us. Boy, I've been thinking about Brother Andrew since last Sunday. What he said about the Christians in America. We are cowards in the way that we pr- promote our faith. Unbelievers who are in cults are more bold to share their faith than most Christians. I was discussing this last night with, with Brother Dan and, and Claudia. Uh, but it, it's so true. Okay, let's move on. Verse 15. The result, so as much as in me is, and we have to supply the being verb here, and we've got the nominative that replaces, or that, that, that tells who I am, as much as within me is, I am, and here it is, I am ready. I am willing. I am willing to go. I'm not willing to wait. I'm not willing to be passive. I'm not willing just to hope people are going to come up and ask me a question about my Savior. Because that doesn't happen often. It it, it can happen. But Paul says, I am ready. And the word for ready is a compound word, the preposition attached to the word thumos, which means passionate. And the word pro means above. So the idea is above everything else. This is my passion. And I want to give the gospel to the people at Rome. So what are some of our takeaways? Our strongest desires, those are the things that we find time to do. Those are the things that we purpose to do, and they get accomplished. Paul had purposed to go to Rome, to share the gospel, and it was accomplished. He was relentless. We should all have a sense of the need for mutual encouragement. That is the way you and I bestow spiritual gifts on one another. Third, we should make every opportunity to share for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ. And we, in return, are blessed when we do that. We all have a moral obligation, a duty that we are bound to by God's infinite love for humanity and there is no one that you and I will meet that Christ has not died for so this is what I want to ask you today will you be willing to go to the lost to see fruit so today this is where we can start something simple write down a name write down a name of somebody that you're going to begin to pray for And then you're going to begin to pray and seek opportunities to share with that person. I remember I was appointed to Fort Yukon, Alaska as a summer missionary. And the pastoral group that was going to send us out that summer, he said, young men, if you don't learn 
to be missionaries right now, you'll be completely ineffective when you get to where God is sending you for this summer. He says, I want you to take a name. This is what he challenged us with. I want you to write that name down. I want you to put it in your prayer journal. I want you to pray for them every day that God would give you an opportunity and that God would give you boldness that you'd share your faith with them. I had an unsaved roommate at the time, and he was the first person that came to my mind. His name was Randy Trellis from Baton Rouge, and he was a crazy Cajun kid, and I began to pray for him every single day. And I remember he came into my room one day, and or our room, and he asked me about what was the most important thing to me. And I sat down at the end of my bed, and I said, God, you are so faithful. You are so good. And I gave Randy the gospel, and he didn't accept it. I haven't heard from him since. We went our separate ways. But there was another friend also, and I wrote his name down. His name was Roger. And Roger and I were fierce competitors with each other. And we would do our long runs together. And we would just, I mean, we would, we would crank up the pace so fast that neither one of us could hardly talk. And so one time I, I faked like my shoe came untied. <laughs> I said, Roger, I got a blowout. And so we stopped on the side of the road. Now, Roger was a devout atheist. And I said, Roger, I said, you've got two or three school records. I said, but those are going to be broken someday. And I've got a couple of school records, and they're all going to be broken. And no one's ever going to remember that we ran at Louisiana Tech. I says, but I want to share something that I found out that gives me greater purpose in life, and that's my Savior, Jesus Christ. And God gives us these doors. God gives us those opportunities. And Paul finally got to the city of Rome. Who would have ever thought that Paul would have got a 470-man escort, a free ride on a Roman ship to go into the palace and to be chained to palace guards? And this is what Paul wrote to the from the jail in Rome to the Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my chains are in Christ and the entire palace guard knows about Jesus. And I've got my own house in the city of Rome and people come day and night and I get to talk to them about Jesus. That's what happens when we make this our driving passion in life. So let's try to do that in this next new year as we go through the book of Romans, understanding the gospel and how easy it is to explain it to a lost person. Father, God, I'm amazed at the Apostle Paul's life, Lord. And yet Paul would never want us to be amazed at him. He would be much chagrined if he even heard me say that he would be wanting me to be amazed at a wonderful savior he wrote the corinthians he says i labor more than the other apostles but then he qualified it 
He said, yet it's not me, but it's the grace of God that is with me. And God, you can give every one of us that same kind of grace because we have access to it by faith in this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So by your grace, Father God, I pray that today our passions would be transformed by the word of God, that our priorities would realign themselves in the reason that you saved us. You saved us to be ambassadors for Christ. You called us to be fishers of men. And Father God, I pray today that we would have that sense of urgency, a sense of moral responsibility, so that God, that we would be ready, that we would be willing to go and speak to whomever, whenever. We pray this for your name, for your glory, and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.